1: welcome back to open the voice gate Rewind and Rewatch Episode 39, covering Revolt 2013 from the Pappy Pineda Dome in Huntington Park, California on January 26th, 2013. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our Red Circle website. You click the donate or sponsor of the show button it'll take you to a form. you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever but i'd like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal iron mike spears Join as always my friend and co-host case slow case this is one where we're, we're going to be talking about one of the uh, at least mike spears canon apocryphal shows in dgsa history tonight and i don't know until last week you were ready that you're aware that this is a very apocryphal show for me uh how are you feeling tonight and how are you feeling that you're about to get, hear the roots of a lot of just dumb stuff that's that happened to me before the show
0: I've been looking forward to this episode for a while I don't know what your story is and I'm excited to find out I know years back at this point just because we've known each other for so long now before we were doing this rewind and rewatch series this was a show that we've talked about because we had drastically differing opinions of at least one match on this show. And now that we've contextualized it a little bit more, I just, I, I've been thinking like Drangate USA has been on my mind this week, which is, you know, a gift and a curse. But I, I just, <laughs> I, I think about this time in the promotion because we're really, you know, close to the end and, This show specifically, I think, is just like one that I remembered getting the DVD for this show in probably March of 2014, and this show took place in January of 2013. I think I pre-ordered the DVD, and that's about when I got it. And just, we're right at the point where I'm in on independent wrestling. I'm not quite following Drangate USA on uh, any sort of level at this point, but by January of 2013, I'm watching ROH Weekly, I'm watching PWG whenever they put out shows, like, I'm in on independent wrestling, and this is just a fun era for me, like, I'm really excited about the last year of this promotion, because for the most part, it's all stuff that I watched in the moment with a class of indie wrestlers that I particularly enjoyed, whereas for as much as I liked a John Moxley or a Brody Lee, I discovered those guys when they were in WWE but this you know this group of independent stars 2013 2014 these are my guys so I'm looking forward to this show because I know at one point we had a drastically differing opinion of it but I don't know what you think now because you have over the past six months or so established dominance Mike Spears and I'm curious to see if you'll continue to do so
1: yeah yeah no this is a show that I'm gonna hold because I know which match we're gonna be talking about and this might be where where Open the Voice Gate Rewind Rewatch explodes. I'm going to hold my thoughts on that one in a while. But I think it's interesting that you brought up, like, this was the class of indie workers they were used to. Whereas for me, 2009, I mean, I really started getting into indie wrestling when I was in college because one of my roommates, weirdly enough, was a big deathmatch guy. So he had got all the IWA Mid-South tapes. And we still had a VHS player. So, like, I would watch, like, the Strong Style 16. And then that later would have gone to the, the Ted Petty Invitational and going from there. So, like, guys like Moxley and Brody Lee, those were kind of my bread and butter guys as I was really getting into independent wrestling as, at that level. So, it's interesting that you've crossed the threshold into, like, this is your period. And uh, as an inverse, we've, we've crossed the threshold into kind of my uh, nad- nadir, for lack of a better word, for DGUSA. So, I'm stoked that we're going to get into this because it's not just DGUSA that had a lot of interesting things going on. that We are going to take a look this week in the Newswire or a timeline rather, I'm not going to pay Gabe Royalties for that, our timeline going and covering the end of 2012 and Dragon Gate and how it kind of played into this show. We're going to be talking about November, uh, maybe some November, but mainly December and January shows in Dragon Gate, U- Dragon Gate Japan, where a lot of interesting stuff was going on.
0: Yeah, normally I like to construct the timelines to where the final show of a year, we just put everything away for that year, but freedom fight. We had the Davy Richards heist to talk about, and that show was going to go long anyways. And then last week we did our top tens and we knew we had a bunch of stuff up top. So we're going to uh, close the book on Drangate 2012 and the beginnings of 2013. Cause there's a lot of stuff that happens at this point. And Drangate just at this time compared to now it's, I mean, they're literally different promotions, but just looking at some of the names we're going to run across and some of the feature talent, it's unbelievable to see just the growth and development and change that has been going on in Dragon Gate Japan for the better part of a decade now. So we start on November 8th, 2012, Cork and Hall. This is the Crown Gate show. I will read through the card real quick. Opener, Mondai Ryu and Fake Naoki Tanazaki, They defeat Kenichiro Arai and Kotoka. Match number two. Masao Yoshino and Naruki Doi of Speed Muscle, they defeat Cybercog and Scott Reed. After that, Super Shenlong defeats KZ, and that is a result in 2020. That is fascinating to read. That Super Shenlong goes over on KZ in two and a half minutes. BB Hulk beats Yamato. Shingo Takagi beats Akira Tozawa. In a 12-man tag team elimination match with the Jimmies, defeating team veteran of Shima Don Fuji Dragon Kid, Gamma Hubbo, and Masaki Mochizuki. Mike, the name that we are paying attention to on this show is Scott Reed. And before I ask for your thoughts on Scott Reed's entire time in Japan, I will read you the segment, the translation from iHeartDG after he and Cyber Kong lost their match, uh, Jay says, "Monday Ryu, of all people, got on Cyber's case for his recent string of saltiness. Kong called him out on that. He enjoyed tagging with Reed today and went for a handshake. Reed's grip was too much for Kong, who winced in pain. Tanizaki warned both of them that if they continued to be terrible, they would find themselves out of Mad Blanky. So, Mike, your thoughts on Scott Reed's time in Japan?
1: Well, as we were doing the pre-show, our pre-show production meeting don't really I, I remember he went to Japan but he was doing stuff with Mad Blanky and the focus of the promotion was so far away from Mad Blanky at this time that it was something I was like oh yeah he was in Japan and it, it, it's something that like this we've talked before about how initially like this was the big investment for Dragon Gate to get like all these like big gaijin over and then you look at the main, you look at the main event of shows coming up and I mean you, you get the names there that really kind of built the uh foreign side of dragon gate for the next decade and then scott reed's here doing a tour and it's just like oh wow okay different completely different people than what who i would have picked if i was in uh the uh foreign talent agents seat but knowing who was in that seat is a very much one of uh it very someone up his alley knowing who he is.
0: Yeah, there's a perhaps a body type that Scott Reed had that was very appealing to maybe uh Shiba. That's just to to put it frankly. Yes, yeah, Scott Reed in a post-wrestle jam era is my favorite. Why was that guy in Japan? Because Anthony Nice, you know, I, we'll talk about it more in, in future episodes about his tour of Japan. Peter Casa, who it's crazy to think that he got to Japan because he debuted for Gabe in a post at USA universe. But Peter Casa was a lot of fun in Japan. Scott Regis has this weird tour at the end of 2012, and it is it's so, so strange to look back on. Elsewhere in Gate, Shima is still the Open the Dream Gate champion. And on the November 23rd show, which was headlined by Shingo and Yamato beating Akira Tozawa and Mad Blanky, they set up the Final Gate main event. I'll once again read the translations here. Takagi had the same challenge ready for Hulk. They bickered back and forth for a while before I, like Cola began playing. Shima talked for a while about the various challengers from the new generation this year. Takagi and Hulk were the only ones left for Shima to knock down. And instead of going the predictable route and making them fight to decide the next challenger, the next Shima Royale would be a three-way title match with Shima, Takagi, and Hulk. He asked Yagi to make, fi- make it official. They all took turns promising victory. Shima said he was the best and strongest champion. He would be in peak physical condition for Final Gate. And we have our main event signed. So keep that in mind as we go through. We'll talk about Final Gate more in just a second. I also want to read you, Mike, the main event from the 12-2 Aichi Show, which was headlined by a Team Veteran Returns versus Jimmy's Elimination match. That Team Veteran ended up winning. They beat Jimmy Susumu, Kagatora, Ryo Saito, and Genki Horiguchi. The Team Veteran Returns team was Shima, Masaki Mochizuki, Dragon Kid, and Yuji Nagata. Mike, your memories of Nagata not only in this match, but his what is one of my personal favorite Chikawa matches at Kobe World 2007.
1: I mean, Nagata was game. Yeah. Whenever he was in Dragon Gate, he was game. It's something that I've always well, like. He's someone who did like such great tours of all Japan, and then Noah as champions there. But him in Dragon Gate was really cool, and of course, like they had like that team that we talked about. Jeez, I'm trying to think how many episodes ago but when it was him and Don Fuji in the World Tag League <laughs> that one year. And it's just some of those things that he was someone that, like, obviously he would not be much more so than just being an outsider guest. But, you know, it's just, like, kind of cool thing here. And, of course, uh, we were talking about this on the Weekly Update case. I figured out what the Nagoya venue was. And it's a, it's a venue that I still think exists. They just don't tape there anymore. Like, that's the deal. It's the Nagoya International Conference Hall. They just don't tape there.
0: That is a bummer, because I'm pretty sure this show made tape. I feel like I've seen this match. Th- th-
1: this show did make tape. This was during the era. Again, we're, we're crossing the streams here, talking about weekly updates <laughs> and rewind and rewatches. But, yeah, no, I mean, like, Stardom has big shows there all the time. Like, people still run this uh, big Nagoya venue. Like, right now, looking at 2020, there is Fantasica Media. Dragon Gate ran th- this venue in August. So it- it's one of those things that, like, the promotions you think that would run Nagoya in this venue will still run this one. Dragon Gate just doesn't tape there anymore.
0: While we're in this ballpark, I thought we might talk about it next week, but I'll just rip the Band-Aid off and go for it now. The reason Nagata was brought in was because in 2012, he teamed with Masaki Mochizuki in New Japan's World Tag League. And Mike, I'm going to read you two matches. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on these. I have not seen either of them, but according to Cage Match, they were both taped. Uh, November 20th, 2012, Masaki Mochizuki and Yuji Nagata defeat Shinsuke Nakamura and Tomohiro Ishii. And then on November 24th, 2012, at KBS Hall, no less, Masaki Mochizuki and Yuji Nagata defeat Yoshihashi and Kazuchika Okada. Those both sound delightful.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go seek these out because I don't think I watched these either. But where was the the Ishii-Shinsuke match at? Tokyo Dome City Hall. Okay, well, Muchizuki is a Tokyo native. I was wondering if they were going to maybe try to do this. They weren't running World Hall that often back
0: then. No, and, not not for a not for a tag league show. That at least no, not not because no. uh, the finals were in the finals were in Aichi. How about that? So Aichi. Well, there we lots go. Lots of shine at the end of 2012. We also had a December Cork and Hall show on December 6th. Uh, the big stuff from this show. A false count anywhere match with Jimmy Kanda, Don Fuji, and Yamato, where Kanda beat the two of them. Matt Blanky, Akira Tozawa and Fake Naoki Tanazaki, they beat Dragon Kid and Masaki Mochizuki. In your main event, World 1 International, Masaru Yoshino, Naruki Doi, Ricochet, and guest member Shima, who dressed in the World 1 International colors, they beat the jimmies of Horiguchi Susumu, Naoki Tanazaki, Dolphin, and Ryo Saito. So an uneventful Cork and Hall show there, but at the end of that show, we got Doi Darts, and that match took place on December 20th in Cork and Hall. Mike, I'll read you this full card, because I think there's some fun stuff on here. Opening match was Dragon Kid, Gamma, and Hubbo, defeating Kagatoru, Susumu, and Saito. Open the Owari Gate match, Kenichiro Arai defeats Kikutaru. Sachi Hoko Boy defeats Super Shenlong. Naruki Doi and Ricochet defeat Naoki Tanazaki and Super Shisa. I need to track down that match.
1: Yeah, that match looks like a... I love the Die Fly team. Oh my god, so, like, so, yeah.
0: so good. Masaki Mochizuki defeats Mondai Ryu. That somehow went six minutes and probably five <laughs> minutes and 40 seconds too long. <laughs> we,
1: we talked about the peak of Mondai Ryu though. Like Mondai Ryu was a thing for a while before he kind of became what he is now. Like they may... Well, like the, I've talked about the Mondai Ryu cheering sections, but they were a huge thing. Like Monday Ryu was weirdly over
0: weirdly over is a good way to put it, and then your semi-main event and your main event, Shingo and Yamato defeat Akira Tozawa and fake Naoki Tanizaki, and your Doi Darts match of 2012, Genki Horiguchi, Jimmy Kanda, Chihiro Tamanaga, Kness, and Scott Reed defeat Dr. Muscle, who was Don Fuji, BB Hulk, Cyber Kong, Shima, and Masao Yoshino. I have seen this match, but it has been a few years. What a fascinating fascinating collection of talent in one match
1: well I mean this was I think this was the start of the streak where Kondo was basically in every single one that they started making a joke about how tired he was of being in these (laughs) dumb matches and yeah like the rest of it I mean this is not a match where Doi had to add anyone else in there I mean geez you got Shima in the match that's usually just fine right there but then you also have Ginky you have Hulk you have Yoshino you have uh, Don Mu- don don as i just about to call them i'm going, I'm going to I'm keep that flub don muscles like that's just like a wild match and uh you know this is just, like a time where things in dragon gate were very very interesting and it was kind of like this reformation period that would truly like really start reforming later in 2013 but it's kind of like you start seeing certain things pop up here and you're like okay i see how we got to where we were in 2013 from here
0: yeah, so from there we go to Final Gate, uh, December 23rd, 2012, Fukuoka International Center. This full card is another one that is fascinating to me. Opening match, Gamma, Hubbo, and Stalker Chikawa defeat KZ, Mondai Ryu, and Scott Reed in 11 minutes. Kanda and Susumu beat Shisa and Sachi Hoko Boy. Open the Brave Gate title match, Dragon Kid retains over Jimmy Kagatora. Opened the Twin Gate match. Don Fuji Masaki Mochizuki retain over Cyber Kong and fake Naoki Tanazaki. And after the match, led by Mondai Ryu, Cyber Kong was exiled. From Mad Blanky, which is stuff we'll talk about in just a minute. I had no recollection of that whatsoever. Final three matches here, Yamato beats Akira Tozawa. Open the Triangle Gate match, the jimmies of Horiguchi, Naoki Tanasaki, and Ryo Saito retain over Yoshino Doi and Ricochet. In the main event, that three-way elimination match, Shima retains over BB Hulk and Shingo Takagi. Mike, what are your memories of this show?
1: Well, the big memory is the post-match thing in the main event.
0: Yeah, let me let me, let me me read that real quick. I've got the translation right here. So this is from iHeartDG after the main event. Shima called out all of his past challengers up to the ring. Pac obviously did not fly in just for this. He exchanged praise and handshakes with all of them. All had varying things to say, but most of them assured Shima they would be coming for his head again at some point. Except for Cyberkong. All he did was thank Shima profusely for the handshake. It was beginning to snow outside in Fukuoka, so the closing speech would be brief. They would be back many times next year, so a simple thank you would suffice. Outside in the snow, Shima spoke to the fans via megaphone. He once again praised his opponents tonight. He asked the fans what the best wrestling orga- organization in the world was. Naturally, they replied, Dragon Gate.
1: And, and Jay left out one of the big things, that Vince Shima started crowd surfing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this this is true. And this footage, it's you know, when Alan Forrell was on the show for the Open the Ultimate Gate twenty uh twenty twelve episode, we talked about that briefly. Alan brought it up. It is some of the best footage I've ever seen. It is such a bummer that the relationship with Shima is what it is, because him crowd surfing after Final Gate, where Again, it's during a blizzard. During a blizzard, snowing outside, and these fans are hanging on to every word this guy has to say. And just to throw it in video packages, just for archival purposes, it would be so great if that footage was played over and over and over again. But obviously, it's not going to. But it is. I don't remember anything about the three-way match. My only strong memory of this show was actually the Yamato versus Tozawa match where I remember being really good because it's Yamato and Tozawa, not hard to have a great match there, but it is the textbook definition of how dead that Fukuoka crowd can be, where it really felt like those two were wrestling in absolute silence despite the match being really good, but I don't have any recollection of that three-way. All I remember is Yamato versus Tozawa, and then the aftermath, which is so awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, and if there was ever a world where Shima comes back into Dragon Gate... If it's doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence, you know this footage will be played because this is one that, like, this is like one of the cornerstone Shima things. And this show overall, I remember it being mostly decent. I Cyber Kong at that time, that Twin Gate match wasn't that great. Um, Dragon Kid and Kakatora don't really have the chemistry you'd want. No, but they like don't. The, you
0: would, you would always expect those matches to be a little bit better.
1: Right? Yeah. 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 Like like looking at the undercard, like you, what, like we already hit on the big one, Yamato versus Tezala, and basically wrestling in a freezer or sub clap, clap crowd, like emphasis there. And then the rest of the show, I mean, the, this gives you a sense of of how random the Scott Reed thing is. He's in the opener, teaming with Mon Ryu against Gamma and Soccer Chikawa.
0: Yeah, it's truly <laughs> bizarre because Uha Nation is coming back and. You know, I think he returns to Japan in March of 2013. So the Scott rethink was, you know, a trial run. It, they obviously, Shima believed in him enough to where the scene went over on Shima and Mochizuki in Hollywood, Florida for Heat 2012. Conley, you know, no sight there. I I really thought for a long time that Conley, Niece, and Beretta would go over as the premier athlete brand, and that never happened. So there was clearly some disconnect there with Shima and Caleb Conley, but Shima liked Scott Reed enough to at least give him a shot, and he's in the Doi Darts match, which I think is so funny, but there's nothing other than that. There's nothing really memorable that I've seen from his time in Japan.
1: Yeah, it's just more the, when you look at the list of everyone who was from Dragon Gate USA over in Japan, he's one of the names that you kind of arch your eyebrow at. Like that's and really that that's as much as he really was a part of it of the promotion. Like it just he was just there. It was kind of bizarre. Shima thought he would look jacked, and that went a far away with that went a long way with Shima. And Shima was doing talent scouting.
0: So we got two more cards for you. We now move to January of 2013. This is a Cork and Hall show. Remember Cyber Kong, who was just challenging for the Twin Gate belt? Well, he is now in the opening match. Best two out of three falls. Open the Awari Gate match. Cyber Kong defeats Kikutaro. If I remember correctly, Cyber Kong starts doing stand-up comedy in this match, or at least his version of it, which is frightening right. to think about. Uh, KZ and Mandai Ryu, they then beat Cyber Kong and Starch- Stalker Ichikawa in 9 minutes and 52 seconds. Mr. Teyonoki Dolphin, he defeats Sachi Hoko Boy. Gamma and Hubbo, they defeat Kagatora and Susumu. Kines defeats Yamato. And Mike, this semi-main event result is right up your alley. Kanichiro Arai defeats Shingo Takagi in 14 minutes in a singles match. And then your main event, Tozawa, Hulk, and Fate Naoki Tanazaki. They beat the three teams of Yoshino, Doi, and Ricochet, Shima, Dragon Kid, and Mochizuki, and Horiguchi, Kanda, and Saito. I know I've seen the main event. That match is awesome. I don't remember anything else from this show, though.
1: Uh, Kinesa versus Yamato was pretty solid. Uh, Kenichiro Ori, I love my main man, but 14 minutes of Shingo Takagi and Cork and Hall is too much. <laughs> like, well, I, I am probably Kenichiro Arai's biggest Western fan, and I can even recognize, hey, that's a lot here. And I guess like the whole Cyber Kong thing, so we didn't really get too much into it. Uh, Cyber Kong... Throughout his career, would always gravitate towards two people, Yamato and Shingo Takagi. And guess where he will end up very soon. (laughs)
0: Uh, well, with uh, well, with Yamato at least.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. So after the main event, speaking of Cyber Kong, Mad Blanky kept up the attack on the Jimmies, prompting a save by Cyber Kong. He asked the Jimmies to allow him to team with them to take out Mad Blanky. Horiguchi agreed to the shock of the audience. Both sides agree to an eight-man tag next month, which we'll talk about at some point, but not during this timeline. Horiguchi even invited Kong to join in on the Jimmy's Train celebration, but he declined. He said he would not dance today because of his Road to Unit Affiliation series, but he would gladly take part next month. So, I, I want to include the Cyber Kong stuff in the notes because Scott Reed is kind of involved, but I also have no recollection of Cyber Kong being kicked out of Mad Blanky at some point, which is the storyline here. I mean, I guess they did this the, exa- the exact same thing the year before with Blood Warriors, but uh, reading this for the notes, uh, this was all new information to me.
1: He just is someone that, like, at least in that time period, he this guy just constantly just bounced around the dragon system and dra- bounced around the units a ton. And that's why I said, like, he's usually tied by a, a cord to Yamato or... Shingo Takagi and I'm like I'm like looking at this, so I'm not gonna spoil what the result of the uh what what the uh, cyber Kong unit uh decision, whatever it's called, but he's he's had twelve units. Jeez. And he's only been he's only been in Dragon Gate since two thousand seven. He's had twelve units. And multiple of them are him rejoining the same unit. So we'll be getting to that as well. But I mean it's just someone for someone who's been mostly a heel or tweener, he bounces around a lot but a lot of that i mean you look at 2007 through 2011 he starts off in muscle outlaws he joins the trueborns a new hazard when they all turn heel on hulk he goes to real hazard and then when real hazard uh kicks out shingo with all that he goes to shingo into kamikaze he turns in and then joins blood warriors he's kicked out he rejoins blood warriors so i apologize that's 13 times (laughs) and then he sticks with a mad blankie so he's only really found stability like since he joined Mad Blanky later on in 2013.
0: It's uh, terrifying to think that he is still around and Shingo Takagi's nowhere to be found, but that's okay. I've made my peace with it. Mike on January 20th at Osaka number 2, Shima defended the Dream Gate belt against Rio Saito. Do you have any recollection of this match because I have not seen it?
1: I don't have a strong enough recollection really to have a uh, take on it. Like this was something where like Shima after he did that big thing, it was kind of like the countdown of okay, he's just addressed everyone. Who's going to be the one that takes the belt off him? And that's kind of like the big story because with his re- with his retaining at Final Gate, that's one full calendar year. Like Final Gate to Final Gate, he was as champion. And let me see, uh, I, he still had a little bit longer for like the defense record. But it was one of those things that just like, it, you know, like who can stop the Kento became kind of like who can stop the Shima and Ryo Saito was the challenger of the month there.
0: I'd like to track this match down because for those that haven't watched a lot of really early Dragon Gate, Saito is a main event player, like a 1A in 2005, and he and Shima, that's kind of Saito's story the entire year, is Saito has the upper hand on Shima and is able to beat Shima clean in singles matches, and they always had good chemistry with one another. I'd like to track that down. Do you have any, uh, any progress on where Shima was at in terms of his defenses at this point?
1: All right, so in this feud he was already at let me scroll down to get to the start of it just so i can run through each and every single one of them because there were a lot of them so he he holds the title in total 574 days he has not at that point crossed uh, naruki Doi's 449 which is like the other big thing is that this reign does so before so he in this he already has defeated masato Yoshino in the and body maker for a gated destiny he's already defeated naruki doi at Oya gym so two guys and their venues by the way that's worth saying yoshino of course being a osaka native and then naruki doi is mr Oya city yamato at cork and hall tozawa at world 2012 uh ginky horaguchi at star uh the cyber kong match and then uh he had champion gate against pack uh star lanes again against susumu so this is already his defense number seven he will have a lot of defenses throughout this year. Like he has one basically once a month before he drops the title at Kobe world 2013. Like it's something where a lot of the people who he faced before he will face again. And there'll be one big one that never makes tape. It's the Ricochet talk match, about. right? The Ricochet match never made tape. Same with the Kinky Horiguchi match. Never made tape.
0: Devastating to think about. Well, speaking of title reigns, we've got one more to talk about and that is on the January 27th Kobe Sambo Hall show. I will, I'll talk about the stuff that's important. Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, and Ricochet, they defeat Shingo Takagi, Super Shinlong, and Yamato. That match just sounds good. Semi-main event, Don Fuji Masaki Mojizuki retain the twin gate belts over Genki Horiguchi and Jimmy Konda, and they set the record for most defenses in a single reign. And
1: great match, by the way. Yes, great match. Great but... match.
0: And then your main event, Name versus Loser Leaves Town match. It uh originally is Fake Nyoki beating Mr. QQ Tayanoki Dolphin by DQ, or I guess by nefarious means rather. And then they restart the match, and QQ comes out victorious. I'm going to read you the translation here. There's a lot, and of course, there is a lot of I will say peculiar-sounding names, so I'm gonna take my time through this one. After the illicit methods used by Tanazaki to win the match, it was restarted. QQ won the restart, regaining his rightful name. He will once again compete as Naoki Tanazaki. He also earned the right to name the imposter. Back at Dangerous Gate, Tanazaki told him he resembled a dolphin when he cried. Well, he thinks he looks like a penguin. He is a Tomomakai native. The sound penguins make when they cry is PP, so he'll be Mr. PP Tomomakai Penguin. Toma Makai took the name surprisingly well and demanded another match. They bantered back and forth with the exile stipulation being placed on Toma Makai and a potential rematch. Before anything could officially be set, a huge brawl broke out between Matt Blanky and the Jimmies. Yagi put everyone in their place and said if they want to fight and put their jobs on the line, then he would do it for them. At Memorial Gate, it will be a 4-on-4 captain's full elimination match. Team captains will be Tanazaki and Toma Makai. The captain of the losing team will be exiled from Dragon Gate. So, this is really it. This is the peak of fake Naoki Tanazaki, and I I, I don't know if I'd call this the peak of QQ, because he has that Brave Gate win, or that Brave Gate match with Kagatora in 2009, that I think people kind of point to as the highlight for both of those guys' careers. But still, this is, in the pantheon of Dragon Gate, this is legendary storytelling.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's something that we're going to get into probably by mania weekend we will definitely be getting into it because we do have like the full climax of this into like one of my favorite things that dragon gate's ever done we'll be talking about that briefly but it's interesting because they blew this off at Sambo hall of all plays <laughs> <laughs> or, or they started the blow off at Sambo hall and then they're going to be doing this as the big match in Wakayama. it's just wild <laughs> like just looking back at it i'm like that wouldn't happen today <laughs> well, no, I like, assumed
0: when I when I first watched this match, which was probably like two or three years ago, I assumed I had the wrong match because it was at Kobe Sambo Hall because I knew this was a really infamous storyline. It's like, well, there's no way they're going to blow it off there, but they kind of did.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just it's just like the wild thing that they do for this. And it's one of those things that with the, like, the storyline, because he's not wrong. T-Hawk, especially like, he was a little bit thicker back then. I, I could definitely see that the whole, oh, you kind of look like a penguin thing. So, <laughs> like this. But it, it's something where, it's such an interesting thing to me because this was really was a time that, you, like, you looked at T-Hawk and how things were with T-Hawk, and you're like, oh, I see how things are going, and I could see how he would become, like, this big, like, star, especially with Tomo Makai. So, it, it's interesting. It's wild. And it's just one of those things that, I'm going to really be excited when we talk about the uh, Captain's Fall match because everything around it is wild.
0: Yeah, so with that, that is the end of our Drangate timeline. Real quick, before we break down Revolt, I've got some Newswire notes. January 10th from Gabe, it was announced that Open the Freedom Gate champion Johnny Gargano will defend the title against John Davis in a no ropes match at the Drangate USA event on January 26th in Huntington Park, California. This will settle their feud, Gabe says. This will be the first time a Drangate USA title has been defended in a no-rope match. It will also be the first no-rope match on the West Coast. This is the biggest, biggest possible grudge match in Drangate, Japan. It came to DG Revolt in Boston in 2011. The result was a brutal match between B.B. Hulk and Yamato. Now the no-rope stipulation returns for Gargano versus Davis. Mike, we'll talk about the match later, but... Big picture, quick thought. Do you think the Johnny Gargano versus John Davis feud warranted this type of match compared to BB Hulk versus Yamato?
1: All right, you just served that one right out of the play. So I'm going to play it. I'm going to knock this out. So my big thing about the show, I got into a fight with Gabe Sapolsky, both of us under previous Twitter things about this match. Because this match did not deserve it. This match, when watching through the feud, made no sense for having this. And it's one of those things that's like one of my biggest sticking points is that this is a match that is so rare in Dragon Gate that's truly used for things that matter. And you're putting it here instead of like blowing this off at WrestleMania weekend. It's like this is our big main event that we're building towards the entire time. It's bullshit. And I still think it's bullshit uh, seven years later, guys. I, I, I don't think it deserved it whatsoever.
0: Interesting. I, I will say the build was less spectacular than I remember. But I also, it goes back to that John Davis thing, where I still think one of the biggest mistakes of this promotion is not getting John Davis a premier featured spot in Miami on WrestleMania weekend to have a legitimately great match in front of that big WrestleMania weekend audience. And I think by 2013, if you do Gargano versus Davis on one of those WrestleCon shows, it's probably awesome. The crowd probably gets into it, but is it as exciting as the Team Shima versus Team Gargano six-man, or, you know, God forbid they replaced Gargano versus Shingo with that? I don't know. I think they needed a match to draw on the West Coast, and I, I don't have a problem with it.
1: But you look at the venue. They only had about 90 people there. Yeah, Dave, so Dave that says re- about
0: 150 in The Observer, but it looks like about 90
1: yeah it's it's something that yeah you do have a point though i do completely agree with you and i do think that when we're gonna be talking about cardinal sins in a couple months this is one of the ones that really needs to be like brought up and this is not one that you can just do a bunch of hail mary's and get yourself out of case like this is one that you're absolutely right like if he has that big win where he gets a win over hulk where hulk was doing jobs it was totally fine with doing that Maybe I would think that, okay, he has this win over this, the first champion. He deserves like this kind of thing, and then, of course, does the bent there. But when you look at like, the history of the promotion, we look at the history of the system, and you look at the no ropes match, which one of these kind of stick out? It's this one. It's this one that makes no sense whatsoever. And I still feel justified in this. Uh, when we get to the match itself, I am more positive about it than I was before, but I still think the build for this, and this was entirely inappropriate and i was justified it and my whole afternoon long twitter spat i had with gabe sapolsky i was digitizing tapes i think i was doing stuff for the U part two at that time (laughs) (laughs) but i was justified with that oh no it wasn't that it was square grouper i was working on square grouper at that time
0: Well, we also have two more quick announcements on January 10th. Uh, Dragon Gate USA is very pleased to endorse Brian Kendrick's School of Pro Wrestling. We are doing this for a reason, Gabe writes. Eh, eh, Good writing there, Gabe. The wrestling business needs more qualified and good trainers. Brian Kendrick has the resume and the aptitude to make sure you get trained the right way. There will be a representative from Brian Kendrick's School of Pro Wrestling in the California Fray on January 26th, and then the announcement that same day that Brian Kendrick will be in attendance on both January 26th and January 27th. Kendrick just said to expect the unexpected from him, and Gabe says, and I quote, We aren't sure what that means. <laughs> Well, we'll have one more Newswire note at the end of this episode because it pertains to the finish of this show, or at least I think it does. But for now, Mike, I am ready to revolt. I'm ready to get into this. I, I am ready for this show.
1: All right. So as we said at the top, this is revolt. 2013 it is from the Pappy Panetta, Bodome dome in Huntington Park, California on January 26th, 2013 starts off in the ring. Chuck Taylor is celebrating his win from last night. He said that he uh, that he spent seven years in college, and because of that, he's so good at this. He wants to play beer pong. Eric Cannon comes out for their previously signed match, and Lenny is flabbergasted on commentary. Uh, Chuck Taylor does perfect and skunk him 3-0, so Eric Cannon drinks all the beers of that. And then they finally... And then they finally, like, go to the match itself after he skunks them. He stomps them the ball. Uh, Lenny Leonard does make a great John Stark reference here, and we get into the match of them kind of brawling around the ring. Chuck Taylor versus Eric Cannon. Taylor won after he threw a chair on Eric Cannon, who is standing on the top turnbuckle, and he went through the beer pong table in seven minutes.
0: I didn't hate it. I mean, it's, it was really goofy. It was worked like I, I almost feel like this match should have been on like a like a total frat move Instagram account. It really, mm-hmm. it felt like two guys in college wrestling one another, which is not bad. It's perversely entertaining. It, you know, I, I think there are more things to get upset about in the scope of Draguit USA than a a nonsense opener between Chuck Taylor and Eric Cannon. I went two and a half on it because it was perfectly fine
1: i didn't rate it just because it was so bizarre i didn't hate it it just was like suddenly this was like a no dq match they didn't like enter the ring and told the finish uh chuck taylor does like crawl up gabe's leg who is taping things <laughs> did you notice that on the outside yes. like it was very clear there uh and you know i mean eventually if i and they go through the table and you know it happens it's not offensive it's not one of the all-time bad things It's not Carlson. it's it just was weird and kind of out of place and kind of full further illustrates how Gabe not only really had no idea what to do with Chuck Taylor but it really kind of feels like that he really has no idea to do a fair cannon now as well
0: oh completely I mean Chuck Taylor is so off in his own universe at this point it, it feels like Gabe is keeping him around Chuck Taylor that is just so he wouldn't go to ring of honor it seems like that's why his contract was in place but you know, as Chuck Taylor said, it's not like Delirious was that big of a fan of Chuck Taylor as a wrestler, so I don't know if that would have happened anyways. But, yeah, it's it's a strange match. I, I will say, did you notice the production being any different on this show? Not necessarily talking about the microphone that did not work, which we will be talking about later, but do you feel like <laughs> the the uh, the camera they used on the floor was uh, perhaps capturing different angles than normal?
1: It. It did feel like a little weird because like the hard cam was the hard cam. It, it was one of those things that I know you're not too much of a stardom person, but stardom like changed half of their cameras earlier this year. And one of them, they would shoot at like a certain frame rate and the other ones didn't. And it felt really weird for like a show until they were like, okay, we have to synchronize these. It kind of had like that kind of feeling to it.
0: It, it. it was just whoever was on the floor operating those cameras. It seemed like they were using some different angles where they were, they were in tight on the ring. And at one point it, kind of looked like they were shooting from up on the apron, which is a a camera angle that I really like, that I I wish more companies would utilize. And it was just a certain, there was a certain freshness to just these small parts of the show. But the Drangit USA production, well, just the whole operation, we've really only seen it decrease in value as time has gone on. It's the same intro music. Thank God, Lenny Leonard's still here, so it's the same announcer. But they've cut out, you know, the backstage promos, a lot of the video packages, the backstage translations. So just seeing a new camera angle or two, I was like, oh, that's really nice. Like that gives the show something else. Because obviously, Dragon USA at this point is is around three and a half years. The shows aren't meant to be watched back to back to back over a nine month period like we're doing. But because we're doing that, sometimes it is like watching the same show over and over again.
1: Yeah, this did really have a vibe of, I feel like that I've seen this a lot of times before. Sometimes it worked really well, but some of the times I'm like, oh, definitely have seen this before. Like, what is the deal with this? It is something that, like, you can really, like, feel, like, the steps down, the steps down, the steps down. It's just, you know, you kind of expect that, and you kind of feel that going into the fray. So. We had a video for Untouchable 2012. Why you would advertise Untouchable (laughs) 2012 case. No idea what They had to have
0: had like Best of Wrestle Jam Volume 1 sitting around in the warehouse still. Just like throw an ad for that up there.
1: I I mean, speaking of Best of Wrestle Jam 1, (laughs) I think B-Boy was over in Japan for Wrestle Jam.
0: Let me me run down B-Boy's time in Dragon Gate real quick because I was going to do a whole thing on his relationship with Gabe because it always seemed like Gabe just did not like B-Boy. He only worked ROH. He did two do-or-die shows, which were the pre-shows they would run in the Rexplex before a big show, like a tryout card. And then he wrestled Colt Cabana on This Means War in 2005, which for ROH fans, uh, the smart ones know that ROH This Means War is the best Brian Danielson versus Roderick Strong match there is. It's better than Vendetta, and it's better than Supercard of Honor 1. But on that show, B-Boy wrestles Cole Cabana, because that is the feud where the homicide cabana feud really kicks off. So but other than that, you know, Gabe used him once in Dragon at USA. He was the dark match opponent for John Moxley on Moxley's debut in the promotion. It's funny that B-Boy comes back and now Brian Kendrick comes back and it's, you know, one degree of separation from John Moxley. But B-Boy in Japan, he's got five matches, and I'll just read you the matches because they're all just fascinating to look at. Uh, B-Boy, Masao Yoshino, and Naruki Doi defeat Shima, Jack Evans, and Roderick Strong. That match actually sounds super good. From there, we go to Differ Ariake, Dragon Kid, Magnum Tokyo, and Rio Saito defeat B-Boy, Chris Bosh, and Naoki Tanazaki. There's a three-way elimination match at the Yokohama Red Brick Warehouse, a venue I really miss. B.B. Hulk and Shima defeat B-Boy and Chris Bosh and Austin Aries and Matt Seidel. Do fixer of Dragon Kid, Magnum Tokyo, and BB Hulk. They beat B-Boy, Jimmy Rave, and Masao Yoshino in a six-man. And finally in Corken Hall, Kenichiro Rai and Masaki Mochizuki, they defeat B-Boy and Chris Bosch. So that is B-Boy's time in Japan.
1: I wonder what uh Eriken and uh, Masaki Mochizuki think about pro wrestler Chris Bosch. Ha
0: <laughs> ha. I I, I I gotta be honest, that was probably a tough night for B Boy and Chris Bosch. I their chest cavities were probably caved in by a few kicks.
1: I mean, Chris Bosch's tour in Drangate is one of those like confounding things, you know? I mean, like, Chris at it. Bosch
0: is one of those confounding things. An act that I haven't watched in a long time, but I know it does not hold up.
1: No, sir. Does not <laughs> hold up what so? Ever. And I,
0: look, I don't, I don't think that makes him a bad dude, but I just know through twenty twenty eyes, you probably do not want to consume Chris Bosch content.
1: Yeah, no, like that, that's something that 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 dog just won't hunt. <laughs> that dog, like you just can't do that. So
0: that, that's yeah. a, that's a lot of the Chris Bosch act. Is like hey, you just can't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's not just on television; you just can't do yeah, that.
0: Yeah, no, just in general.
1: All right. So speaking of B boy, let's get into this fray. So we had eight people in this fray. I'm going to run down the uh, eliminations in the entrance first before we get in the match itself. Start off with Ray Rojas, and B-Boy. Johnny Yuma comes in, then Johnny Goodtime. B-Boy eliminates Rosas with a airy crash. Goodtime and Yuna defeat B-Boy with a DVD of Yuna off the top rope. Do you remember what, what that rockness sponsors Monsters call that case?
0: No, I don't.
1: Well, after that, Drake Younger came in, then Brian Cage with all the scene yeah younger defeated yuna with a drake's landing cage then eliminated good time with an inside out uh slam uh famous b came in and then drake younger defeated famous b with a drake's landing and then brian kendrick came out with two of his students stands on his apron forever while younger and cage fight and then younger eliminated cage with a mousetrap then in the aftermath brian cage is not the uh, or i'm sorry brian kendrick enters the ring he, he shuns his students and uses them as a distraction and then hits a slice bread number two to win the fray.
0: So there's a lot going on here. I, I want to talk about Drake for a second because, you know, I, I, I just feel like it, it's worth talking about. And we record these shows a little bit in advance. I'm sure by the time this show comes out, Drake Younger will be the main character on Twitter, once again. I know that's going to be Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Ha- un- undoubtedly. Here's the thing about Drake, and and I'll preface this with, obviously, whatever Drake's doing is wrong. I disagree 1,000% with everything he claims to believe right now. It's awful to see, but that's the thing. It is awful to see because, one, at this point, I don't know how it was for you, Mike, and I don't know how connected you were to PWG at this time, but I am just getting into PWG I don't know CZW Drake Younger. I don't know IWA Mid-South Drake Younger. All I know is PWG Drake Younger, and this dude was like a god in Reseda. He was really the closest thing they've had since Akira Tozawa left to a guy that they could point to and go, you know, PWG's the all-star show, but that is our guy, I had a Drake Younger t-shirt I bought from Pro Wrestling Tees. When Drake got signed to NXT, it was like a win for everybody. They were all elated. It was this great thing to see that this guy had figured out his life, had gotten his job uh, with WWE and not as a wrestler. doesn't have to take bumps anymore. It was so great to see. And, I'm not trying to preserve this guy's image. I'm not trying to do any damage control for him. But I think of this show as some sort of a historical artifact. And it's important to remember that before Drake was running rampant on Parlor, that he was... A real feel-good story, and I think that's part of the reason that at least as of the time we're recording, he's still employed with WWE, because I know for a fact there are guys in that company that are rooting for this dude to get out of the cult that he's in. I don't, you know, in 2012, dude probably checked the box for Mitt Romney, okay? I, I don't think Drake Younger was ever a beacon of a progressive vision, but it is such a bummer to see what has happened, because for so long... He was such a triumph and a victory, and I really liked his in-ring work, and it just so happened that, you know, by the time he became a good wrestler, he was out on the West Coast and nobody was willing to fly him in, but the other thing that I started to think about was the Drake situation has escalated so much, even as we've been doing this show, because Drake's on the first year anniversary show. Maybe I talked about it then, but I don't feel like I had to preface a lot of my Drake thoughts before I gave them, but record like looking forward to recording the show it's like man like i want to talk about drake but i feel like there's a a generation of fans that don't know the drake younger story they just know drake warts on parlor and that is a bummer to me
1: yeah yeah i mean it's something that we did not have to do the uh whole we this person's a terrible person like x y and z no we, we get it and they time.
0: know where we stand it's you know everybody right. understands
1: And it's one of those things that going through this time, like, I never was a big CZW fan. I would watch IWA Mid-South intermittently, but it was one of those things that there are people within wrestling who think that Drake moving to California and conquering his substance abuse issues, I think that's out open case, right? Yeah,
0: that's accurate, and that's out there.
1: That's accurate out there, that he might not be alive right now. Like it was like in a situation that he moved out of of the Midwest, he moved out of Indianapolis and moved to California. I think he met his wife and he got clean. And it was one of those things that he got clean and got himself into shape where he would not have been hired at any time if it wasn't for what he did out in the West Coast. And him and him and PWG, like I, it got to a point where like after like Tozawa left and there wasn't as much Dragon gay people that I still watch PWG and I still like it's one of those things that I still did aggressively through that time i just did not necessarily like keep up on much but drake younger and recito was one of the adopted guys you're dead on about that like he was someone that everyone was like do you know what drake younger's doing now in pwg <laughs> like that was the thing that was said about him so like him coming out here and like looking at this like he was a guy that got clean he got in incredibly good shape he, was, like,
0: he looked so good he, he was ripped at this point
1: Yeah, so, like, it was, like, a thing about this, especially considering how bad his DGUSA thing, like, the fact that he came back at this time in 2013, eyes was, like, a big, awesome thing. And there's, like, it's just one of those weird things that, like, over, like, the last... Like, like, as you said, like, I I have no doubt that as soon as this guy became politically engaged, it was not necessarily a good thing for, like, his viewpoints, at least. But it just was something that... He's such, like, a interesting and weird topic you know oh
0: i mean look i I, i'm rooting for the guy i want him to figure it out because there's ultimately you know a good enough person in there i he really you know acts like he's a member of a cult right now and it's just a bummer if it was anybody else i i probably wouldn't be as empathetic i probably just tell him to fuck off but i know drake's story and i care about drake's story and it's just it sucks to see what's become of him and i hope that he can write that wrong in some possible way mike if you don't have any more thoughts on drake i would love to know your thoughts on the finish of this match
1: i mean i knew the finish of the match because i knew it was happening the next time the time like even like through like me like forgetting things i've watched before i was like oh yeah no uh kendrick does this there. really kind of drawn out really kind of convoluted it worked and especially with the promo at the end of the show it worked but like this match wasn't good beforehand and adding brian kendrick to it did not make it much better like the the sad things we spent like three minutes talking about drake younger undoubtedly the best part of this match
0: oh god undoubtedly because even brian cage doesn't add a ton to this match and no you know famous b i always liked as an undercard hand b-boy i talked about his relationship with gabe earlier i've you know there's a weird core contingent or a small contingent rather of indie wrestling fans that love b-boy and always thought he should have been something bigger i'm not there but he's fine Rock Desk Monsters, it's so weird to think they once pinned Spike Mohicans clean. But the SoCal guys, other than Drake, really don't add a ton to this match.
1: No, not at all. I went one and three quarters. Oh, like, okay. well this I'm match not that not low.
0: Good. I I'm at I'm at two and a half there, so back to back two and a half stars for me. I, I will say about the finish, it took too long to get to, but my God was I into it by the time it happened. Like it is so Brian Kendrick, where it's a good idea in theory. And probably a little bit poorly executed, which is kind of the Brian Kendrick (laughs) story. But, you know, he takes his two students out here and he's telling them to attack, attack, and they've cornered Drake Younger. And then Drake finally, like, thinks he's figured it out. And then Kendrick just hits him with a sliced bread and pins him. It's an awesome finish. And it got me into this Gargano versus Kendrick match that we'll talk about next week on a show that I've never seen. I have a feeling 2013 Brian Kendrick probably not going to like the match that much, but <laughs> the journey to take us there, I really enjoyed. It just, the angle could have been condensed by about two minutes.
1: Right, right, right. Then we went backstage. It was the book at Cam, and it, we, we've we had my moment where I was like burying this match. I think that Johnny did a great job here in this, so it's Gabe with Johnny, and Johnny's trying to grapple with the idea that he's gonna have a match of no ropes and he talks about like hey i put up a bunch of rings in my time and you all might not know this but the ring ropes actually help soften the mat because of where all the stress is going there because the rings help the ring ropes like help distribute that that's not going to be there now now the only thing that's like bracing it there is going to be just like the cross beam and the cable underneath the ring this is going to be really tough for me and then for like a one minute segment i thought this was like an awesome thing that if they did more stuff like this, I would have been more into it, like them building up the brutality of this feud rather than this is Dragon Gate's biggest (laughs) match blowing off biggest feuds. It's like Gargano in like a minute got this whole entire concept over that I was buying into it.
0: I completely agree. There are two awesome promos on this show and this is one of them. And to relate this, I guess a complaint about Dragon Gate USA that I can frame for the modern wrestling world is the thing that AEW does where Taz breaks down the mechanics of a finishing move, that promo package thing that they do—that's my favorite thing in wrestling. Unironically, I have waited for my entire life for segments like that to be implemented into wrestling. Almost basically a sports science type deal, but just the the thought and the care that goes into why these guys are doing moves, and it seems like Dragonet USA specifically, with this match and with all the other stipulations, they missed the chance to go deeper than the service level on what these matches were, why these feuds were happening, and that Gargano promo, exactly, it got to the core of the issue, and he put over this match in a way that I, you know, I'm not a wrestler, I never considered what Gargano was talking about before, it was just a great promo that just showed thought and care, and I greatly, greatly missed that in a lot of contemporary wrestling
1: and a match that has uh, greatly like like i had a whole lot of like thoughts into that they put some care into this so the next match is rich swan versus ada rich swan wins in 15 minutes and 48 seconds with a handspring into the corkscrew into the corkscrew splash defeating ada if this match well, like i think that's like my one big takeaway from like this big show is if they take away like two or three minutes like in each match their star ratings of this go would go much higher. Case, what were you on this match? Because I adored this one.
0: I was at three and a half here.
1: Okay, so we're same page. Three and a half. If they would have cut like four minutes out of this, like three minutes out of this, made it like a tight twelve to thirteen minute match, I would have probably gone four stars on it.
0: Yeah, well, it starts really slow, and there's a moment early on where Swan is going for some sort of tombstone move where he's got eight in that position and he drops him, and it just mm-hmm. it takes them. You know, all things considered Aita being this young into his career, they recovered in a nice amount of time, but it still, it, you know, it took them a second, and the crowd could tell they messed up, and I think if you just cut out that early portion of the match, you're it, you're borderlining on a great match at that point. What is so interesting here, at least to me, is that you put Rich Swan and Ata in a match, and you expect it to be something, and I don't feel like this match was what most people would expect. This was a match that was kind of built around the power of Ata and the chops that he was lighting up Rich Swan with. And as I've continued to say throughout the series, Rich Swan is a sneaky great brawler. And he showed it here because he was striking with Ata. He was working this really stiff, sort of violent, hard-hitting style of match. And I, I love this because it is what... Swan does so well. Swan is so adaptable, and this is the heir of Rich Swan for the for the the remainder of Dragonet USA. He doesn't have the match quality output to put him up there with the very best in the world. But if you want to talk about a guy who I think has all of the skills. Rich Swan is like a top ten guy around this time in wrestling where you can put him in any environment and the dude delivers. He is so good at this match. I love Rich Swan. I love him in this era in particular. And I thought he and Ata had a, just a, such an enjoyable and a different kind of match than what you would expect from seeing these two names on paper.
1: Yeah, this was an absolute cracker of a match. It's just, just exactly what you kind of wanted to see. Ada gets, like, his big uh, youngster standout match that you knew that Gabe being Gabe. The one thing I always say is he knew as soon as what he saw with he was, like, all right, I'm going to put him in these matches that will really, at least for here, you can see, like, the growth here. This was, like, the Ada growth match, you know? Like, the steps up. Like, I'm not going to flip through my notes. Because remember, like, he really didn't know what to do with Tazawa for about three months until he was, like, oh, the crowd loves this guy. I need to, like, build this up into something. This is like the match that you would have at the start of that. And it was so good with the way that Ada was able to kind of try to get out of every situation with the chops. There was this really fun bit where they were doing this brutal, like elevated, elevated clover leaf where Swan had his foot on his head that just looked nasty. And then, and then later they were going onto the stage because apparently there was no DQ or no countouts at all during the show. Like, did you notice, like, that people were brawling on the outside for a long time on this show. Uh, Countouts like, are
0: overrated. We don't need them in wrestling.
1: But it, the nice thing about this is they went over to the stage, and Ada does this tornado DT on the stage that Ada sells like death. That I'm sorry, that Rich Swan sells like death that Ada does. It looked real awesome. This rocked. Uh, you were talking about production things earlier, and I had this note here that I was going to save for here. So Ada had whatever theme music he was using on his excursion, it, it's a bop. It really kind of like fits, <laughs> a like thing. I like it a whole lot. Rich Swan. They found a recording of him doing the Junction Three beatbox, and they used that for his name. It wasn't even like them using a Johnny Gargano's "Don't Die Digging" graduate track. They were using this. So, over almost exactly a year since Junction Three disbanded, they were using that for this.
0: I, I mean, I would think at this point, Gabe is totally checked out of what's going on in Japan. So that's not entirely surprising. What is a bummer is that. Just looking at Ata's excursion, where he was stationed, and the optics of PWG at the time, it really seems like we should have gotten A and PWG at some point. And specifically, if you look at their most recent show, which we'll talk about more next week for a multitude of reasons, DDT4 2013, I'm not going to pick on B-Boy, but there's a singles match on that show between Willie Mack and B-Boy, and I just think, oh. man, if you just could have put Ata in that spot instead, we could have gotten that 2013 Ata versus Willie Mack match, and that sounds awesome. And you know those chops would have gotten over in Reseda.
1: That would have been such a banger. Oh, man. Sliding doors, the story of DGUSA. <laughs> Sliding doors. Dren- Sliding Dragon doors.
0: USA, this should have been better. <laughs> this should have been better.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after the match, Swan... Uh, puts over Ada big. Then he talks about California wanting to party. And he blows out the speaker. And then he says he's the face of the high flyer and puts out an open challenge to say, we know the whole thing was like this going on here. I am the best high flyer. So come at me if you're a better high flyer than me. And I thought that was a pretty effective post-match promo. I like both facets of it other than blowing out the speaker.
0: Yeah, the audio quality is simply put unacceptable. But from what I could understand, Swan got a nice little promo here.
1: Then we had another book at cam promo. This time it was with Sammy Callahan and uh, Gabe is right into Sammy's face. He points <laughs> it out a couple times. He talks about the match that him and Kirtazawa had at United NYC, kind of charming talking about like the two years and how he has a conductor's hat on. And it was like, Gabe, why are you always in my business? It's like the, and then Gabe says, that's kind of my thing, being in everyone's business. You know, I, I, I was not a big fan of the book at promos that we had last week and, uh, w- w- uh, and opened the Golden Gate, but I did enjoy like, the two that we had here, with one with Gargano kind of laying down his fears of the uh, no ropes match and then uh, Sammy being reflective.
0: Mike, I thought this promo was fucking awesome. I, yeah. I, I- loved this segment for, for a few reasons. One, Sammy Callahan just came across like a person which was nice because lost at the shuffle of all things, Sammy Callahan, the wrestling character is that,
1: and the person and the person. And the,
0: the, well, yes, the person stuff. I I will, I will say a lot of gray areas there. And that is where I'll leave that. But there's a lot of interviews, like shoot interviews that Sammy's done or on Cole Cabana's podcast, or he did an RF shoot where Callahan comes across like a, like a really interesting guy in a, a great character, and too often in his career he's been spooky. I'm the draw, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, Sammy Callahan, and he just kind of cuts this genuine promo here talking about United N Y C. He's in the opening match, which, by the way, that United N Y C show, Callahan, Tozawa. Taylor, Swan, and Gargano are the only five guys that were on that show that are on this show, which is weird to think about because she Wolf. was not on this weekend, um, and yeah. Ricochet is not either. But Callihan's talking about, you know, before the match, Gabe goes, hey, do you want to drag it USA Contract? And Sam is like, well, of course I do. And then he goes out, and, and I remember I was much higher on that Callahan tozawa match than you were. I gave that four stars, and it was just – I. This was everything that I wanted from, if you're going to do this book at camp thing, which I think is corny as hell, and I don't think it looks good, at least have it be genuine like this. And I think that's the, the angle that Gabe was trying to go for, but I don't think it always landed. The other thing that I liked about this was, like I said earlier, we're three and a half years in a Dragon Gate USA right now, and it was nice for Sammy to call back to something, for Sammy to use the history of Dragon Gate USA, because... Right now, all of these shows I don't know, they kind of seem to exist in a vacuum. Like, nothing that was relevant at Untouchable 2012 is relevant now. And it was nice for Sammy to to call back to a show and say, no, this exists. We have this history, me and Tozawa, and let me use this in this promo. I was smiling from ear to ear after this segment. I just loved what this represented.
1: And I don't know what the production flow was, or if, uh, Gabe gave uh, Lenny Leonard any indication, but Lenny brought it up in the match too. So, I mean, like, it's a nice, like, coherent tale that they brought about this, and it's something that, you know, it's something that they're, that... It came across really bad the next week. I'm going to be interested in seeing one, because I completely forgot about the Book It Cam until we started watching it. Like, we talked about, like, this is... I, I'm old now, Case, and I forget things. Like, I forgot about Book it Cam. I'm going to be tracking how I feel about the Book It Cam promos as we go throughout here, because... On this show, completely effective, and I feel like that added a lot to some matches that needed it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I uh, will continue tracking the book at Cam as well because there's nothing I love more than, all right, we're back with another book at Cam.
1: <laughs> you, 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 you need to like say it in a way that you're kind of like ordering a sandwich at Wawa. Though. I
0: need to say it in a way where the guy on camera kind of gives me a side. He's like, oh, are we doing this now? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, what do you want, Gabe? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean at least he didn't go bug chuck taylor in the bathroom this time
0: no thank god
1: then we had air fox defeating samurai soul in 14 minutes and 13 seconds with the low main pain this was just it was playing the hits in a way but i feel like this really really worked here guys i i enjoyed this one a whole lot
0: for everything that swan versus Ata wasn't This match was. This was a high flyer versus a high flyer matchup, and they did just a ton of crazy shit. It was awesome, and I think it's important to, once again, contextualize Samurai Del Sol. We talked about it a little bit last week, but the thing that I wanted to mention on this show because of the arena we're in, because Brian Kendrick and his wrestling school was mentioned earlier on in the Newswire, and because uh, we'll talk about it now instead of in a few weeks because we're going to have so much WrestleMania stuff to talk about. I want to mention, and Mike, I don't know if you have any recollection of this, Brian Kendrick's King of Flight tournament.
1: Oh, yes, I remember the King of Flight tournament.
0: Yeah, so that happened uh, on March 24th, 2013, so about two months after the show, same arena, GQ Money and Nigel McGuinness did the call, which I don't remember at all. But it was this show that Brian Kendrick put together. And to show you just how valuable and how well thought of Samurai Del Sol was at the time. And this show, for those that haven't seen it, I will actually, I will avoid spoilers on it until I guess it's a tournament. So you'll kind of figure things out. But this show is on the High Spots Network if you've never seen it. It was just a one night eight man tournament of high flyers, and the opening match was Paul London versus Samurai Del Sol. You had Nick Jackson versus A R Fox, the Amazing Red versus Ricochet, and Matt Jackson versus A R F- or uh, Matt Jackson versus Rich Swan. That turned into A R Fox versus Del Sol and Ricochet versus Rich Swan, and then a a finals match of Del Sol versus Ricochet where Del Sol won. So in one night he beat Paul London, A R Fox, and Ricochet, and it almost felt like, Mike, I know you'll get this. We talked about this on the show months ago at this point, but the Summer Adventure Tag League of 2011 was designed specifically right. to get Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk over as a tag team. It was their vanity tournament. This was the same deal for Samurai Del Sol. This dude was wanted Everywhere It was so talented. And after that rocky start, I really wasn't sure if his run in Dragnet USA was going to hold up. But then you put him in a match like this with AR Fox, where, by the way, it should be noted in The Observer, Meltzer wrote that Gabe was planning a long feud between Del Sol and AR Fox, and we never ended up getting that, which is a bummer. But we got this match, and I went four stars on it. I love this thing.
1: I went four stars, too. Yeah. Like, like straight up, like, this is... Guys playing the hits but playing them in such an effective manner. Uh, one thing that I noticed in this match that you don't really see a lot outside of Mexico we need more people doing torneos, we need more corkscrews because it looks sick. Because Samurai del Sol did like four different variants of a torneo in this match, and I was hyped for every single one of them. and It's just remarkable how smooth, uh, after all the jitters were underway with the Samurai del Sol, that he was in this match because imagine this match happening right after Heat 2012. It would have been a disaster if at any indication, He grew a lot over the the eight months since then. And it's just like, there was like this really tight evade that Dol Sol did of the first low main pain attempt that was just like him bending backwards. And of course, like the matrix spot now is way overdone, but it worked in this instant here because, especially with how the low main pain operates, that's the idea of he, Air Fox gets you on the rebound with it. So if you bend backwards out of the way. He's not able to hook your arm to fall back. So i am doing my own Taz breakdown to the low main pain here right now. <laughs> no, but that was,
0: that was a spot that I had down in my notes. It was, I had never seen Fox take a bump like that off of a missed low main pain. It looked really good. The, the other thing that I noticed about AR Fox in this match, Samurai Del Sol is a tiny human. And AR Fox did that springboard in, inverted 450 to the floor Onto Del Sol, which is such a small target for a move that dangerous. That's like a move... I, it's it's a bummer Fox didn't like going to Japan, because that's one of those you can just see the gaiora camera on the floor pointed up at the cork and hall ceiling and Fox doing that dive on a, like nine guys on the floor, like four young boys get taken yes. out and it looks awesome, but it's safe. Cause he's doing it on a nine guys. He does it onto a tiny samurai del sol here. And it, it blew my mind how dangerous that was.
1: And, and then right afterwards, uh, six years later, uh ginky Horiguchi would be making uh, uh dragon Daya learn that because of that.
0: <laughs> and, and they are Fox. I, I, I love this guy so much. You know, I like there was a, a point in time where Ricochet was struggling wrestling other high flyers and he quickly got it figured out cuz he ended up, you know, wrestling Cody Bushi and going on the Super Juniors run. But there there was a point in time where Ricochet needed a base and, and needed just someone bigger than him to bounce off of and that is a problem that a lot of small guys run into. AR Fox has always been great at these high flyer versus high flyer matchups. It's really what he does best. And I saw a lot of them when he was AAW heritage champion about four years ago, where he would just show up at AEW. He'd have these like seven minute sprints where he would just, you know, he'd flip around he'd do his AR Fox thing, but they weren't really void of psychology. Like they always had a nice story to them, but they were always built on these aerial attacks. And I just don't know a lot of wrestlers, especially American wrestlers, that have as much success doing that as Fox does, and it's really impressive, especially coming off of Swan versus Aita, where I think those were two guys who weren't necessarily capable of having a flyer versus flyer matchup.
1: Right. Yeah. Like this is a match that had to happen now at this time, and it knocked it out of the park. It was a match that, looking at the show when we went down the, the show results going beforehand, I was like, okay, that this will be an interesting thing. Like last week when we were talking about this, I was like, all right. This is going—I don't know how this can go. This can go a lot of different ways, but we'll see how it ends up. And I ended up just adoring this match. And in the post-match, uh, the Young Bucks attack, and they lay out Air Fox with Spike Tombstone. And I liked how much of a big deal the Bucks are on these shows. Like, it, like yes, they're, they're now in DG USA for a pretty good period of time, but having them in California, feeding off the fact that the Bucks were mainly seen as heels in California because of PWG— Was such a smart move from Gabe and really catapulted and gave this, gave like these two guys that were at this point kind of considered outsiders coming back in and feeling like that they were just stars with this.
0: Brother, this is my era of the Young Bucks, and I will have more to say on that later. But this post match attack was everything like Brian Kendrick's angle was super, uh, like, super effective, but not very efficient. This was super effective and also very efficient, and I love that from the Young Bucks.
1: Yeah, that absolutely rocked. Speaking about what rocked case, Akira Tozawa defeating Sammy Callahan in 17 minutes and 44 seconds with a captured German. I went four and a quarter. Like, you were talking about how much more you liked the match in New York City, uh, United NYC. This match, ah, it just worked in a lot of ways. This was, we talked about proto-PWG. No, this is now... PWG of the time happening in Huntington Park versus in Reseda. I adored it.
0: I gotta say, I liked the NYC match more. I was really, I was right at three and a half on this one. I never, I was never totally sucked into thinking I was watching a great match. I thought I was watching two great wrestlers. And in 2013, my God, Sammy Callahan is a great wrestler. Akira Tozawa, obviously a great wrestler, but I don't know. Sell me on it. There was just a little bit of a disconnect here.
1: I, I think for me, what worked with this is that the uh, match at uh, United NYC, and it's interesting now that this feels like such a run back of a show <laughs> in comparison to like things that we were talking about that happened in 2012 and 2011, but for me, the thing that like sold me on this match was this one felt like it had an immediate purpose from the start. It was Sammy Callahan. With that book at Cam Promo, basically like I'm avenging that loss. There's no way that I'm going to let Akira Tozawa beat me. And then just trying to seamroll him in the first three minutes, and then going from there into the kind of match you expect these two guys would have. There was, like, the really cool inversion of the Tres Amigos where instead of after uh, – with German suplexes, but instead of doing, like, the suplex and rollover like this, they would do go-behinds right afterwards. So they were just trading German suplex. The kind of things that a lot of people would hate, but I was like, this actually really works with this, with how it's built up here. And then the whole thing, like, they had, like, just, like – really great thing. And then the Liger bomb that Sammy did into the stretch muffler leading into the finish for a character I always cleaned his clock with bicycle kicks and get the, the capture German on it. I just adored.
0: It was everything you would expect from Tozawa versus Callahan that this is a match. Maybe I'll revisit this because I wanted to like this a lot. And I'm I mean, going look, I gave it three and a half. I liked the match, but I, the, the United New York match, I remember being shocked. I thought you would go crazy about it, and you were kind of cold on the match. You didn't think it was really anything special. But that match came across to me, 2011 Tozawa and 2011 Callahan, like two dudes who were fighting for their lives. Like, they wanted spots in this company, and they were going to get them one way or another. And I I didn't think the same intensity was here. Now, that could also be... The first time they wrestled, it was in front of a hot BB Kings crowd. This was in front of 90 people in, in Southern California. Not a bad crowd, but just the optics are not exactly conducive to a great match. But I, I liked it. I love Sammy in this era. I just went three and a half on it.
1: Yeah, this is not a show that I would ever expect anything of this to hit the WWE network. <laughs> just like... Jeez, <laughs> like, you think about people on the show that are now within WWE. Like, you can't even have like the Kendrick stuff? No. Uh, maybe they would want to have the Samurai Del Sol thing of of his torneos, but your that footage looks terrible. And then Gargano, they might find a way to, to like do this, so they did a best of Gargano and DGUSA thing. But, but they're they're not yeah.
0: they're not doing that. They're doing Gargano versus. I, I don't even know who he wrestled. Adam Cole. Yeah, I was going to say like Gargano versus Walter if that happened. They're not mm-hmm. You're not seeing Evolve 12 on the network. Stop being surprised by that. It's not happening. Open the open the historic gate. I guess that's the first show. i Untouchable 2010. It's not popping up on the network. Stop acting surprised by it.
1: Yeah, it's just not going to happen here, but I, I I totally understand like our disconnect here. I, I feel like there was different things in the two of these that I, at least in my way, like this one, maybe it was like if I didn't have that promo, I would think differently, but I feel like this time it ended up adding a whole lot to it. I think that's fair. And then we had the same Bucks video package that we had next, that we had last week. I assume we're going to get the same thing on the next show. And then we had the Young Bucks versus the Jimmy's team of Rio, Jimmy Saito and Jimmy Susumu. The Young Bucks defeated the team the Jimmy's team with more bang for your buck on Rio Jimmy Saito in 16 minutes and 48 seconds. Okay. So what were your thoughts on this one?
0: Mike, you know what my thoughts were? I like watching Nick Jackson wrestle Jimmy Susumu. That is what the industry needs. That is good shit. I, I mean, my God, this match. And I look, I went four stars on it. It's the young bucks and the Jimmy's. And this is the era of the young bucks where you got to remember, they're not even in new Japan at this point. They are doing they're like Chikara guys, if anything. They're out of Ring of Honor. They're just starting with Dranget USA. And then obviously their PWG is, you know, PWG is their home promotion. But they're nothing at this point. They've, they're have they like a bust in the NBA draft, considering the the war between Ring of Honor and Dranget USA and TNA three years ago, at this time exactly three years ago, that's like a lottery pick just becoming nothing. And then obviously they revitalize their careers off the backs of this Drangit USA run. But this is my era for the Young Bucks where I just don't think they can do any wrong because they're now close to a decade into the industry. Like their minds are incredibly cerebral, incredibly calculated, but they don't have those road miles on them. They don't have those New Japan house show bumps to their bump card they just do whatever they want. They go crazy, and oh my god, I love it so much.
1: And it's something that, like, I've not read the Young Bucks book. That's something I'll be probably reading over Christmas and over the New Year. You and I when, both. When things, slow, when things slow down, I'll pick that up. I, I, I got a bunch of books. I'm actually going to read Proust, so I'm an insane person. I so went over I, my head there. Uh, It it, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I don't want to dumb it down
0: for you. Uh, You don't. You don't need to know about it.
1: Well, I mean, Proust is just a a French author who wrote like one novel series that were like five thousand pages long.
0: Now I'm gonna head out on that. That sounds terrible, Mike.
1: You, you, you see, you didn't need me to, like, talk about it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It. Like, this...
0: I, you were trying to avoid a burial, and I, I made you walk right into it. And, I, and I, that was mean-spirited, and I do apologize.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote this series of books that was seven parts called In Search of Lost Time that is, like, one of the more, like, influential, like, novels of all time. It's 4,215 pages, and I'm a crazy person so I'm like, you know what? I feel like I should read some Proust, so – that's what. Well, the, 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 what are your
0: thoughts on this young bucks match, Mike? I'm not doing a literary <laughs> podcast here. Four thousand pages. Fuck off.
1: Well, like the reason why I brought up the Bucks book is they've talked about it. this was a time where they were about to quit wrestling. Yeah, like straight up, like they like they did like this, and and like absolutely, like, this was one of the things that like led to the like revitalization and let him to, like the 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 TNA thing where they pretty much were cast adrift like the one thing that they did was they made the right friend there. But uh it, it's only like this match, like I went three three quarters, like this match is exactly what you would expect this match would be and I'm thankful for it. You know? Like it is the Bucks being like like, if people think, like, the Bucks were heels or, like, did a heel stick here, uh, there's a moment in this match where Nick does something uh, does something untoward. He ducks out of the ring, puts up his hands, and he says, my hands are clean like OJ Simpson.
0: <laughs> God, I love the Young Bucks so much. Everybody that does it is fucking wrong. I'm sorry. They're so good. I don't understand why people don't like them. And the crazy thing is, if we want to talk about what if, in sliding glass doors moments, I I think it was the summer of 2012 where Kenny Omega tried to get them to DDT, but DDT could not afford the two plane tickets for Americans. They could only afford the one, and so they didn't end up using them, which that, by the I mean, that changes wrestling if the Young Bucks go to DDT. It literally, everything we know about wrestling now does not happen if, if that happens. Right. But the other alternative reality is is what if the Bucks go back to Drangate and we're, you know, three months away from WrestleMania Week in 2013 is when the first Kevin Steen show with the Young Bucks interview is filmed. I think I've watched that probably a dozen times at this point, which is super embarrassing to admit. But they've talked about how working in Drangate USA, once they left Drangate USA the first time, like, you know, they were cool with each other, like they got along, but it wasn't the same and they felt that tension. So they probably weren't ever going to be in a position where they were going to be brought back to Japan. But God, could you imagine the Young Bucks showing up in 2013 when you've got the Millennials landing? So you've got Bucks versus Teahawk and Eita. Bucks versus, you know, either Shingo and Yamato or Yamato and Doi. Bucks versus Tozawa and Shingo. Like, we just missed out on that. And because the Bucks are in Dragon at USA, that is a realistic possibility that at the very least you can fantasize about, you know, however long you'd like to
1: yeah, yeah, and they still had the chemistry. That's like the wild thing. Oh, like it yeah. wasn't like they were like Susumu and Nick just went at it. Like there was like this tremendous near fall on a shining wizard that Nick does, kind of just as like a flow move going into like a bigger spot that like looked brutal and just looked awesome in that. And it's just one of those things that you look at the box and you look at what happened with their career and how things really changed for them. Like I think if anything this series of matches like instilled the confidence that they always had in themselves returning to DG USA and being treated like stars. And I think part of that is that Gabe had the foresight. to so like, Oh, we're going to California. We're booking the young bucks. Like they're not fly-ins now. They're free and clear. We're going to do this and we're going to build toys, Russell con
0: and then signing them to a deal. And they become the focal point. I mean, they will not talk about it when we talk about the evolve shows, but you know, they're headlining evolve shows at one point. I guess we do get, the Bucks versus Teahawk and Eita, but it happens in Florida instead of in Tokyo, which is uh, a bummer. But, yeah, the Bucks from here on out, you know, for the next year, because they leave in January of 2014 at the infamous Gabe Sapolsky basketball blow-up, which you can read about in... I think it was my history of evolve article that I wrote about how Game hated basketball and got mad at Chris Hero. The Young Bucks were playing pickup. It's either Chuck Taylor all Chuck them Taylor, together. <laughs> yes, it's it's either an, it's I think it's in my history of evolve article. It might be in my Young Bucks are the best tag team ever piece, but I don't think it is. But we've got the Young Bucks for the next year, and they are a driving factor in the promotion. They are you know obviously the most interesting thing going on from here on out. So I love this match. I want to see Nick Jackson wrestle Susumi Yokosuka tomorrow. I just, uh, their chemistry is top notch.
1: Okay, so you do know that they were headlining the Tokyo Dome in their words. Just in front, a week in front of 40,000 people. people.
0: But you know, Nick Jackson is, is right. You know, he's going from <laughs> the Tokyo Dome brother to Ebor City, Florida for 80 Silent Evolve fans. I'd be pissed too. Let me play basketball game
1: yeah yeah and then the bucks cut a promo where the microphone uh kind of went out some probably for the best because there was some casual racism dropped in there like just the Bucks, like they, the, this was like more healish than they were before like they haven't learned to take it down a notch and they refer to them as chinese which you know just like uh guys come on it's a different time talk- mike we, we didn't know <laughs> we, did, we, we didn't know that was offensive <laughs> yeah. doing that kind of stuff but um then they talked about being best in the world. Basically, it's rehashing the promo that they did in the video that we've already seen twice now.
0: Yeah, a very long video that I skipped by this time around. But ca- casual racism aside, uh, a good promo for the young bucks, just yeah, with, yeah, with an I, asterisk.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I'm not gonna like if that happens. I'm gonna point it out. So you know. Then we have a DGUSA video, a no ropes hype video, and then we have the main event. It is. Before they open the Freedom Gate, it is a no ropes, no DQ, no count out, no ropes break match, where Johnny Gargano defeated John Davis by referee's decision in twenty-one minutes and eight seconds when Johnny Gargano locked on the Gargano escape using a ladder as aid.
0: Mike, I love this match. I loved it the first time I saw it. I wasn't sure how it was gonna feel the second time around. I still love this match.
1: I like this match. I don't love it. I, I, I don't. I will
0: say, in the context of Drangit USA, this is a super impressive match because it's the first time. And granted, we've only been watching the Drangit USA side of things, not the Evolve side of things. But this is the first time that I feel like Gargano has wrestled, acted, and performed like the top babyface of the company. His performance felt heroic. He felt like he it looked like he was fighting Godzilla and it worked. And I got into this and there are some crazy bumps in this match from both Davis and Gargano. And I, it just, it works. I, it, it's probably a flawed match. I think, you know, you know what I didn't like, and this is just a, a fault. That's not, I, I can't direct this at Gabe. It's just a, a problem with the system of independent wrestling. John Davis passed out from the Gargano escape in the ladder and, he should have tapped out, he should have jobbed out tomorrow, and we should have never seen him again. This is this should have been John Davis leaving the territory. And I think, especially in the nature of independent wrestling with contracts, you get put in this position where now John Davis has to come back on the next set of shows and the, and the shows after that. And that just shouldn't have happened. This should have been it for John Davis because he did his job. He got us to this point and he should have tapped out, Gargano should have stood tall, and we probably should have seen the last of John Davis at Heat 2013, but instead he continues his run, and that's not anti-John Davis, because, you know, I became a huge fan of him through this series, but seeing him lose so defiantly, it doesn't make me want to see him anytime within the immediate future.
1: Yeah, and uh, I want to push back on one thing you said. I do think this is a heroic uh, John Gargano match, but I don't feel like this is like uh, David and Goliath because the first, like, four minutes, or first quarter of this match, Gargano was dominating John Davis. Like, it's just something that, like, with this, like this, like, he should have gone. John Davis should have left the territory. He should have gone, done other things. Maybe nine months later, you bring him back, right? Like, you bring him back, like, after, like, he conquers after Johnny goes through everyone else, turns heel, then you have, like, all right, Davis is back, and then you try to run this face heel. you look that comment. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think to to counter that, it's, you know, Gargano was in control for part of this match, but I looked at it more as, like, this guy's fighting for his life, and it's no different than, Ray, you know, just to use the extreme example, it's no different than Rey Mysterio being on offense for an extended period of time. Doesn't mean he's not physically the underdog. It just means that he's on, you know, a hot streak here. But, but Davis ends up coming back, and you know, hits a a powerbomb on a ladder on the apron. That was pretty disgusting. He followed that up with a three seconds around the world that Gargano kicked out of. There's also a spot. It's my favorite spot in the match. It is not the Gargano slipping on a chair that TJ Hawk in his review proudly gift, which is very, it's like the most TJ Hawk thing I've ever seen is he has this match in his review is Gargano slipping on a chair. But Gargano goes to like, throw a chair at davis's head like he's sabu and davis catches the chair and whips the chair back at gargano and it comes across like he's nolan ryan throwing a fastball he about wiped gargano's head off of his body with that chair attack and that for all the crazy spots they did that simple chair shot was far and away the most violent thing they did in this match
1: i don't know that uh that sick uh sunset bomb into the apron was god
0: that was nasty, nasty. there's a lot of, that's the thing they really beat the shit out of each other in this match and it, it like the build to this match was ultimately ridiculous because i hated what they did at the uprising show in Voorhees at the flyer skate zone we saw the highlight packages of what happened in evolve which looked like it was a little bit more heated but still it was you know the john davis heel thing was just not well-received by any party, but to get here, to have this blow-off match, and to have the blow-off match be as good as it was, I went four and a quarter on it, it makes the last few months of this feud maybe a little bit more palatable, because we got to the end of the tunnel, but there was a point in time where that journey was pretty bleak.
1: Yeah, 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 no. I, I'm with you on that. Um, I went three and a half stars. Like, I enjoy this match. I think... Like, the thing with me that has me not reaching that level that you did... Because I do think there's a pretty big divide between three and a half and four and a quarter stars. Yes. To be honest. But like, I do believe, like, when you're talking about three and a half and three and a quarter, there's no difference. When you're talking about, like, even really from two and a half to three and a quarter. Like, same divide there. You just kind of like the match more than, than you're okay with. But the thing for me was this was not a bad plunder match. Like, they worked this very well as a plunder match. But until... There was, like, the uh, post-tease and using the uh, turnbuckle to rip at John Khan's face. You could have done this match without the no ropes, with ropes on the ring. Like, there were some moments that they teased it, but it didn't really, like, bring it into the match. And it kind of, like, left me going, like, okay, that was a good brawl where there were no ropes in the ring. But for the way that they build this match and the way that both Dragon Gate Japan and Dragon Gate USA treat this match, it's not it, it, I don't want to say it's undeserving because it because it is a good match. Shine of Stars is not is a very good match. It's just for for what it was built up to be. And my afternoon long argument with Gibbs Polsky in 2013, saying like this is supposed to be like a true Dragon Gate feel match. This match does not feel like a true Dragon Gate feel match. I came out of this match still kind of feeling like this didn't feel like a true Dragon Gate match. I thought this was a great brawl. I thought this was a solid plunder match with some really sick stuff. But I still don't think this. Match stipulation was right. And I don't know how to the, the, that's my own thing, I think. I don't think that there's any reconciling that has to be done by their motion or by anyone else. That's just my personal weird itch. I think I think that's why I kind of came away with this match thing. It's like, yeah, I just am fixated on stipulations. And that's on me. That's my own failing.
0: I I would I use the frame of mind that Gabe booked this feud knowing that he was going to end with this match. Not that he planned on doing this match and at the end maybe needed to sell tickets and decided to add the no rope stipulation. I, I I, choose to believe, and I don't know, but I choose to believe when Gabe laid out Davis versus Gargano, he knew it was ending here and he knew it was ending with a no-ropes match. And John Davis, perhaps not reaching the expectations that Gabe had for the feud or that the fans had for the feud, I think perhaps negates and lessens the stipulation of the match just a little bit, but I'm choosing to believe, because I like the match, that this was something that was a a long-term project for Gabe, but he was going to see it through to the end, whether or not it felt warranted or justified.
1: That's fair, that's fair, and that's one of the sad things, is that we never really got, like, a uh, we we never really got, like, a postscript of like how we had the Gabe's book of secrets for ring of honor, where like where he was thinking about stuff. We don't have that with this. Like we do have like the kayfabe con Paris thing that he did with Johnny Gargano, but we don't really have anything else about that. Him talking about DGSA booking, unless it's stuff that he writes in the newswire, which is very kind of just Gabe talking about Gabe stuff. You Not know? yet, Mike, I Not yet, love- but
0: we're going to get him on the horn. Okay. We're going to talk to our close friend, Aaron Bentley. He has a personal relationship with Gabe Sapolsky and we are going to get Gabe on the show.
1: That would be interesting. Don't,
0: don't rule it the, out. The, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, crazier things have happened. The,
1: crazier things have happened. And, you know, the, the, it's this was a crazy match. And, I, and with you saying the context of booking backwards versus saying, like, okay, I need to sell tickets. I'm going to do this here. This is a big stipulation. Totally justified, and I could totally see the logic there. I, I don't think you're wrong about that.
0: I, I, just, I don't think you can do this match at WrestleCon with the trajectory of John Davis staying what it was beforehand, which sucks because this match and the metal Lance, I think it would have gotten annoyed. If they did this match on Mercury rising 2013, it probably goes down as one of the best matches in dragon Gate USA history because it has that atmosphere and it has that crowd. But you know, we just talked about how John Davis struggled to get over as a heel. You can't put that match on a show like that. You have to go back to the basics of dragon gate guy versus american guy and hopefully people come to the building and that's what they did for that show and it worked out
1: no that's fair that's fair and they made the post match it was uh, brian kendrick coming out here he was uh, this is a promo that like the production you can make out a lot of what kendrick was saying somehow kendrick was eating the microphone and you could barely make out half it he put over for but case okay, this is what i transcribed and if i'm wrong about this and you have different notes please just jump in and interject here uh he put over Gargano, he brought up bringing, winning championships and being undersized, but then he says that Gargano has one flaw, and that flaw is pride, and I'm smart, and I'm gonna get you to, to do this near downfall. And that's why I'm gonna challenge you to a match here, because you're gonna accept this match. And then Johnny Gargano says, Yeah, I will beat you. I have I I'm the champion here. I want to prove myself. I'm gonna do this. And then and then Johnny accepts and then then uh Brian Kendrick goes, Ha, made you do this. I'll see you tomorrow, and you're gonna lose, and you're gonna lose your belt. And then Johnny, the microphone was completely terrible. With this, and then Johnny did the go home. He did not even have them chant Dragon Gate USA. He says, "I heard it in the back, and I knew how much y'all love this show." And that was it. As we went to black, weird promo, weird like Brian Kendrick's promos in DGUSA, even getting back to like his last time in the promotion, just never worked. And this one, I get the logic here, but just came off as just like. I'm so calculating. You're gonna play into my things. This makes Gargana look like an idiot in a way.
0: I yeah, I can see that. I I thought this was the best Kendrick promo we've seen on this project. I I, I liked this go home segment. Quite low bar a bit. though. Yeah, well, to be yeah. Fair. God, uh, compared to the Moxley debut in Philly, yeah, low bar. So you just summarized the last segment, and I am left so confused with this newswire note that I have that came out on January 26th, the day of the show where Gabe says, and I will read this verbatim, we are very excited about the new concept we will introduce to our eye pay-per-views tonight. All we'll tell you is we will, quote, look them in the eye and speak from the heart. Make sure to keep watching the eye per view after the card ends. Mike, what the fuck does that mean?
1: Was there something that did not make the uh, production cut? Let me that was on let, the let me double view.
0: check because I thought when he, I read that that he was talking about what the like he was talking about after the match and pay attention to the promo, but that couldn't have been it because there was nothing there was nothing there it was so right so confusing if you look at the PW pondering his eye pay per view review there is nothing there um at least in terms of an announcement. Of any sort of, you know, like almost like an NXT fade to black and then come back sort of deal. I really right. have no idea what Gabe was talking about here, and I don't see a four one one review to confirm. So, you know, maybe they announced Shingo, but that's not how I announce Shingo with look him in the eye and speak from the heart. I don't what I don't know what that is. I'm baffled by this.
1: Yeah, I'm doing a quick search to see if other things... All right, here we go. Let's see who this is from. I'm doing some stuff on air. Larry Zonka, here we go. Oh, these are just the pay-per-view scores. Do we have Revolt? Yes, we do. All right, Larry Zonka review. Let's see if Larry has this. Here. No, this isn't that. This is... Okay, this is... He had, like, a whole thing here to get to it. Let me see what he had at this point. I apologize, this is really bad air, but yeah, I, I have no idea, because like, that promo really wasn't that. No, because and... it's
0: not like, maybe he was saying Kendrick was like opening his third eye. I, I assumed, because I read this before I watched the show, that at the end of the show, Gargano was going to talk straight to the camera, or Kendrick was going to talk straight to the camera. I am so confused by what this means, but... There is seemingly no answer to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And now I'm now I'm just looking. Okay, ProWrestling.net. That's a legitimate source. Uh da, 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 da. There is nothing here, Case. So if you're a listener,
0: no. tweet at us at Open Voice Gate and let us know if you remember from the Revolt 2013 iPay per view, the new concept that Gabe introduced to the iPay per view viewers. All we'll tell you is look him in the eye and speak from the heart. If you know what that means, if you have a doctorate in Gabe Sapolsky verbatim, because I I thought Mike and I did, but apparently we're just bachelors in this department, then please let us know (laughs) what that means.
1: Okay, I think I found something. Go for it. So, but this might be wrong. This comes from uh, prowrestling.net. This says that the feed cut out when Gargano spoke after... uh, Kendrick said, are you a man? Are you a mouse? you are going to stop this. The fee cut out. When it came back, Gargano was holding championship over his head as Gar- as Lenny Leonard announced tomorrow that it would be Kendrick challenging Gargano for the title.
0: That's an eye paper so, problem. That's not a feature. That's a bug.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that That's from Zach Zimmerman from ProWrestling.net. And that's the only thing I could see about talking about something happening on the feed.
0: Well, if you know, let us know. But... Other than that, other than the very confusing end of the show, I have to give a thumbs up for Revolt 2013. I, I really, really like this show.
1: Yeah, the, the, there's too much good stuff here for me to say that it was bad. I mean, and most of the bad stuff got out of the way after the Frey match. Like, the Frey, after the Frey, everything was solid. Yeah, Swan
0: versus Ata, Fox versus Del Sol, Callahan versus Tozawa, the Bucks versus the Jimmys, and Gargano versus Davis. That's uh, a five-pack there that is, is pretty mean. That's, that's good stuff
1: oh no absolutely I, I i'm with you on that and I, it's just interesting like i thought i would come into this project with this one match kind of because like because we've talked about like i've had opinions about this no rope match ever since i've known you you've, you've known like mike does not care for the no ropes match between Charco Gano and john davis and i'm not as negative about it case but i don't think i've come to any resolution here and i, I don't know weird okay
0: <laughs> I can live with that. I, I, I can live with that. This is a fun show for me to, to look back on and revisit. Next week, we'll be talking about a show that I have not seen, and I have a feeling most people have not seen it. This felt like a real low point in the Drangit USA canon. This is Heat 2013 from the same venue, uh, the afternoon after Revolt 2013. The card that we'll be talking about next week, Eric Cannon versus Rich Swan, John Davis versus Drake Younger, Chuck Taylor versus Ata. Open the Freedom Gate title match between Johnny Gargano and Brian Kendrick, Rio Saito versus Samurai Del Sol, Jimmy Susumu versus Sammy Callahan, and your dream tag team partner main event, Akira Tozawa and AR Fox versus The Young Bucks.
1: Interesting card. I'm, I'm going to look forward to this. There's a lot of matchups here that I'm... Intrigued by, and then that main event. I don't think there's any, there's a way to go wrong with that. So yeah, I got to say, I have b- better than
0: I was expecting. I th- you know what? I will make the prediction now. This card will entirely rely on how good Gargano versus Kendrick is.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to getting to this next week. As after this show now, case we we have now crossed a threshold. We now have less than we have eleven shows left in this project and. This next show will be the final show that DGUSA has on the West Coast. The final show that they will have outside of the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area until their final weekend. It feels good, like, Mike. Is... It feels good. Yeah, yeah we're, we're getting to a point now where I'm ready to like start getting to like the conclusions of the promotion and when it gets truly weird. But that's going to do it this week. Unless you have anything else you wanted to add before we get out of that's here. That's it. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And you can follow me at Fujiheya. So for Case, I'm Mike. And I'll do it until for this time, Open the VoiceGate. We'll catch you next time. Take care.